I kind of like it this way. There's two things I like about church this morning. One of them is that we didn't start on time, which makes me feel really at home. I grew up in Mexico, and we, yeah, time is, yeah. Um, we had time, and Americans have watches. That's what we used to say. So it felt really cool to start late. It was like the mystery in the room. Like, when are we going to actually start? Kind of fun. Um, and I also kind of like this whole deal of getting you move up, move up, because now we end up with bookers on the front row who are seven feet tall. How do you sit behind these guys, right? Anyway, it's great to have you guys this morning. Um, if you know, I'm, by the way, my name is Jason. If you know where we are as a church, you know that we're right in the middle of a four-part conversation, three or four-part conversation. Um, in a series of town hall meetings, you'll see something about that in your bulletin. If you were around last week, surely you saw that. But just to give you an update, we had a really good Sunday evening meeting last Sunday. It's when the elders kind of uh, went on record as to where we are and sort of our proposal to maintain tension around the issue of inclusion for the uh, LGBTQ community. Tonight, don't miss it. I, I hate doing Sunday night services. It reminds me of being a little Pentecostal kid, right? Growing up in Mexico where you got to have, if you're lucky, a nap between the services, if you're lucky. Because somehow that was so important, we had to do that twice in one day. Anyhow, um, hate doing Sunday night services. But if you miss tonight, I am afraid you're going to miss something profound. We have a theologian and New Testament professor coming in from um, West Michigan, Western Michigan, uh, uh, to help us. Somebody's laughing, Western Michigan, right? That's what's the name? Western Seminary right there on the lake, uh, attached to Hope College right there, in, so you know it. Um, anyway, I think you need to catch tonight. You need to be there for that. Um, his book is profound. He's a, he's a big voice in this space. Anyhow, also speaking, this is a little matter uh, to, to keep in prayer. Um, as an elder board, we are doing some um, conversations having some conversations around town, pursuing some interesting conversations with different denominations related to how to partner more effectively in Austin. Um, and so one of those partners in that conversation that could, could pan out this year, but we need you to pray about it, would be the United Methodist Church, which for us would be a very interesting natural fit theologically. And they've also whittled out a space within their communion to keep people in the fold who are having the conversation that we're having. So it won't cost us good standing to sort of go down the path that we're going down. So keep that as a matter of prayer. Seriously, pray for your elders on this because we have some interesting decisions coming at us. I think 2017 for sure, maybe the first half of 2017. So give us, give us that support if you would. All right, so we are now in uh, Lent, fifth week of Lent. Today's on-ramp is a couple of interesting stories. They're two of my favorites. I think I say that about all the great stories in the Bible, but these two really are. Um, and, and the first, first one comes to us from Ezekiel 37, and it's the story of the Valley of Dry Bones and the Lord's invitation to Ezekiel to um, see a miraculous sort of unveiling of who God is. And I thought we might read that aloud. I had so much fun last week, Brandon, when we read uh, those verses in unison. Something about God's people speaking the word, sort of creating that with their own voice. That's just really fun. So let's read that, and then we're going to transition to the New Testament And we're going to tell some stories from Haiti. So we're going to have a bunch of moving parts today. Plus, we started late, so there you go. So follow along. Let's just read this from the NIV. Read along with me if you can. I'll try to read slow so you can keep up. The Valley of Dry Bones. Verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? 
I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make... Keep going. Pray with me briefly. Holy Spirit, have your way this morning. Quicken our hearts and our minds, even quicken our bodies, Lord, as we respond to these stories. In your name we pray. Amen. I didn't stop reading because I can't read. (coughs) I would just rather listen to you read it. That way I don't confuse you. It's actually beautiful to listen to. So of all the Old Testament stories that I wish I could have seen in person, this one is high on that list. What a scene. What a beautiful, if you had to encapsulate who God is and how he works in the world, this would be one Serious perspective that sort of gets to that. And if you know about where we are in the church here, Lent is moving us forward. It's dragging us, like it or not, it's inching us towards an empty tomb on Easter when when life will deal death its final blow in the story of Christ. But not unlike this story of Ezekiel, this is a story about who God is and what God does, right? To God, and this is important, decay is not final. Can you feel the desperation of the Israelites who say, these are our bones, the hope is gone, There's nothing left. Have you been in that place? Can you identify with that? I think that's designed to be a portal in for you. I think that's pretty much describes certain seasons of our lives. But to to God, decay is not final. Death is never the last word. And what looks like the end of the story almost never is. Not where the power of God is present. Nothing is too far gone. Nothing is too long dead. Nothing is beyond hope for God. And I think that's what this story is about. You know, it's interesting, this idea of resurrection. Eventually, the young community that sprung up around the life and teachings of Jesus that was led by the apostles, eventually, this community would come to cauterize an entire doctrine, an entire philosophy. What does resurrection from the dead look like? In fact, um, we've mentioned recently about some things that don't appear in the creeds that sustain the church. The doctrine of resurrection of the dead does. This is essential stuff. To understand that God can bring things back to new life is absolutely essential. 
In fact, Paul will write later to the church at Rome in chapter 8. He writes, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. This is going to become a thing in the new community. This idea that God can even defeat death is going to become a deal. In today's gospel reading, so the Old Testament reading comes from Ezekiel 37. The New Testament reading comes from John. We've been in John for about five weeks now. John tells a story about a dear friend of Jesus named Lazarus. I wonder if Lazarus knew that there was a brewery in Austin named Lazarus. Because I think the brewery was first. No, maybe it wasn't. He tells a story about a dear friend. And this, this story only appears in the book of John. What I love about John is John preserves things that the other synoptics just kind of glance over. John gives us some extra grit as it relates to Christ. But this is a friend who passed away when Jesus, having been perfectly able to show up in time, decides not to. And that's what's so disturbing. I'll read a couple of verses. You don't need to read along. Just listen. Chapter 11 of John says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village, Mary, uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Interesting that it identifies the village as pertaining to the sisters. I'm just saying. It's interesting to me. And then it goes in and gives us a little commentary. Oh, by the way, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair which hadn't yet happened chronologically in the book of John, but she figures prominently. The bottom line is Jesus loved this family. They were key pillars in the movement of Christ that he was trying to get going. And so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. If someone were to speak to you, hey, you need to go back to your hometown because the one you love is sick, is that, would, would you know who that was? Interesting. Jesus, the man, deeply loved this family. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death, no, It's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And then he just gets totally disturbing. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So he heard that Lazarus was sick and he stayed where he was two more days. So the story unravels in this sort of interesting way where the news comes. It's urgent. You got to get here quick. And he says, I'll get there. And he hangs out for two more days. First question in my mind is, what was he doing that was so important? that the one that was identified as the one Christ loved went from sickness to death while he was doing something else. I don't know, but if he was the guest in my house, I would take that. That's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Mary comes to him and says, if you would have showed up in time, this wouldn't have happened. Martha comes to him and says, if you'd have showed up in time, this wouldn't have happened. But there's this little caveat that Jesus says, wait, this is for a greater glory. This is for a greater point. And I think this is a beautiful little foreshadow of Easter when Jesus too will shed his burial clothes like he commands Lazarus to do. We're gonna see genuine emotion from him. This is the, the, you know, you all learned this in school growing up that the shortest verse in the Bible was Jesus wept. How does he weep when he made the decision not to show up and he shows up and he sees the emotion and he cries for the loss of his friend Lazarus? And yet, there's a deeper point here. There's something that we simply must know about God that Jesus is trying to teach us. And this is why Jesus lets his, lets his friend die. There was a point about God that if we didn't get this straight, none of the rest of it would work out. And here's the, here's the thing. God doesn't just create once and just let itself wind out. To say that God is creator is actually to confess that God constantly and relentlessly recreates and recreates and recreates and he makes it again and he makes it again and he reconstitutes it and he gathers the ash and he breathes life into it and he gathers the bones and he makes them walk again a standing army and this is the God that not only created but constantly recreates and recreates. Now I've heard stories of bodies getting up from the dead when 
people prayed. I've never seen it. The bottom line is, I believe God can. I know God can. And here's the, here's the real truth. The evidence of God's work of raising dead bones is all around us. If we don't see it, it's a matter of perspective. Think about it. Make a mental list in your life of the dead things that God has brought to life. So just because I've never seen a friend get up out of a casket and freak everybody out, that'd be some kind of party, wouldn't it? I hope you have a DJ on hand, right? Just because I've never actually seen that, does that mean that God can't? No, God does all the time. If you need a little proof today, let's talk about anger. Those of us who suffer from anger, right? He's recreating those deep emotions into something different in this place as we do community, right? Where we used to cleave to every shred of control and be infuriated in rage when we lost it. We're learning to release recreation, new life, evidence that God is among us. We could talk about unforgiveness, simply the willingness to let people off the hook in our presence, in the community of faith where people are following the teachings of Jesus and living that out in a world that unforgiveness goes from the prison cell that I built for you to the keys that unlock it for the both of us. God is recreating new things. He's making new things come to life. Think about pain. For us, according to Jen, as she preached recently, every single One of these things along the road that makes us stop is an opportunity for us to go deeper into that conversion with Christ. Everything is an opportunity to convert. Pain for us is flipped into an opportunity where we can say, it's a school that will shape my soul into being something more like Christ. Recreation, ongoing raising of the dead of those things that are in our heart. You get my drift. The signs of God's recreation are literally all around us. What we need is better eyesight. What we need is deeper awareness. What we need is the pause and the silence to simply be present to those things that are springing into new life all around us. Maybe this conjures up thoughts in your mind about your marriage. Maybe God has, in some miraculous way, brought that back from the brink. Maybe it's hope in the church. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had recently with people who tell me a variation of these words. I, had, I was done with church, but I'm going to give it one last shot. I'm going to give it one last chance. Maybe hope, in, hope in, the, in, in, in a community of faith that has been such a wounding agency in your life as you've developed into faith. Maybe there were times where you could, could not imagine anything being more hurtful in the community of faith. Maybe God is resurrecting those dry bones to new life in this place. Maybe there's a dream that you've had since you were a wee little thing and God is resurrecting that. I don't know. Today I want to focus on a particular way that God recreates. I'm going to try to do this without totally breaking down. Brandon set a new record last week. I think it was 21 seconds and he was in tears. I'm not going to challenge his record today. But I don't know how to say the words that are written on this page. Let me just sort of pivot in a new direction. One of the most profound ways that God recreates in the world we live in is when little broken souls are put into families to be cherished and loved, to be recreated. Psalm 68 says that God sets the lonely in families. My favorite translation of that is God sets the orphan in families. The way our family has chosen to engage this kingdom impulse and this reality of living in the, in, in the kingdom that Jesus created is by adopting our littlest, our littlest daughter. If you know her, you know she struggles, but you know she's pure sunlight. And we hover between those two things. See, here's my story, and we're gonna go somewhere with this in a minute. God breathed new life into dry bones of that little girl when her whole family implodes by sending her to our family. 
But similarly, and no less profoundly, God breathed fresh wind into the dead corpse of our self-centeredness and our need to control by giving her to us. You see the two sides of that coin? We are her answer, but she is our answer. You have no idea how hard these words are to say and how much shame I have related to this because I can teach you how to love your foster and adoptive child. But it, takes, it has to be a really good day for me to get that right. Isn't it ironic? What makes me nuts about her is that she's so forgetful. She can't remember two thoughts. And yet every single day, she is God's designed answer to my forgetfulness of how wonderful and amazing it is that she's in my life to recreate me. I forget as often and as frequently as she does. Every single day I need to be reminded, hey, brush your teeth. Hey, love this child. She's my answer for you. Hey, put your shoes away. Hey, embrace this brokenness because this is you. And I love you the way I'm calling you to love her. Every single day. I'm starting to grow weary of the repetition and then I'm starting to hear the the voice of God who patiently repeats the same thing to me every day. So recreation in the story of our family is two sides of that same equation. We're all on that journey together with her and, and she with us. But as you know, adopting a child isn't the only way to co-labor with God in recreating little souls. Our church has been practically involved in this in a profound way with a group called Help One Now since its very inception. The two things were birthed at the same time. Nobody knew which was going to be church, which was going to be nonprofit, but we partnered with Help One Now since the very beginning. And so I thought today as we were talking about dry bones and God resurrecting new things to new life, what could be, there, there are a million examples. We could have talked about a million different things. But what I want to talk about today is specifically related to the team that just got back from Haiti. And I want to invite you to listen to some of these stories and respond in a new way. You know what's interesting? Isn't it interesting that the Spirit of God could have made those bones get up and walk on his own volition, but he calls someone to get involved, and so Ezekiel has to prophesy. And so our role in this journey is going to have to be something that we take seriously. It's going to have to be something we opt into.